0: Welcome to BizPod.ninja, your central hub for business wisdom from rockstar entrepreneurs, CEOs, VCs, corporate development gurus, and more. Join us weekly for Truths from the Trenches with your host and business ninja, Andreas Penna.
1: Welcome, David. How are you? Doing great, Andreas. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. Thank you for making the time.
0: Hello everyone, welcome to uh, CorpDev.Ninja. You'll notice that I changed it from BizPod to CorpDev. Slight branding change because I realized all we do is really talk about corporate development. Why the generic BizPod slogan? So it is CorpDev.Ninja. It is the 11th episode every Thursday or Friday around noon, 25 minutes from top business ninjas and corporate development ninjas from around the world. Giving us words of wisdom, truths from the trenches, and we've got David Marika here. How are you, sir? It looks like you are, are, are alive and well. Everything's good.
1: I am alive and well. Yeah, staying healthy.
0: How are you managing? Uh, you know, I've been asking all the every single guest, kind of how are you managing and coping during COVID. Like, what are you what are you up to these days, aside from you know being fully invested in your business?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I've been working uh, more than ever, actually, during COVID. But, you know, what's nice is we as a family, we actually came out to the Midwest during the summer where my wife's family is from. We have two kids, 10 and eight years old, and they've actually had one of the best summers of their life. I mean, they said they've had so much fun because they've been able to, you know, quarantine, but with family members and spend time with cousins and grandparents in a way that they wouldn't normally be able to do. So that's been good for them. It's also been good for us. So it's, it's good.
0: That's that's amazing. I can just imagine if I were a kid during this time. I probably, I mean, you know, back during when we were kids, we had a uh, Nintendo and Sega Genesis. I, I was addicted yeah. as a child before to video yeah. games. Yeah. My dad would often like hide the the cable yeah. uh, when I played too much. But I'm like, if I were in this environment, like ten, eight, ten, twelve, I probably would just be playing video games twenty four oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> So, everyone, David Marica is the founder and CEO of Social Live, an enterprise video creation and live streaming SaaS platform. Trusted by organizations from startups to Fortune 100s, Social Live brings unprecedented ease and scale to high quality video content creation for teams across enterprise. And a footnote for folks it's great. It's, I love the platform so much, we're actually streaming through it. So, Social Live is the yeah. platform that I stream through. So, uh, hats off, David, for that. With 15 years of leadership and innovation in digital media, David is helping drive uh, and shape the video-first communications revolution in business. Before Social Live, David helped launch Scholastic's first digital learning platform and worked as a strategy consultant at McKinsey & Company. A New Jersey native, David holds a BA from UNC Chapel Hill and JD from Harvard Law School. Pretty impressive background and pretty diverse, David.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it has not been a straight path.
0: So... We've got a few questions here. Again, we've it's a 25 minute show, but I think at this point we got 22 minutes. I encourage folks who are watching live on LinkedIn to submit any questions live, and I will, I will take a look and and we'll see which ones we can we'll lay up for David. But in the meantime, you know, it is interesting. I have I've had a few friends who've gone to law school and who have switched into business, and they all have their own their own reasons for that. And so curious, you know, why the switch? You went to harvard law school why the switch usually when you spend all that time you're pretty much invested in that and there's a lot of work it's super academic and then you yeah. go typically to to you know big big law but i have noticed some of the most impressive folks and, and friends and colleagues that i that i've come across in business actually did that transition they didn't they went to law school and then went into business but what was what was your reason
1: yeah, no, it's a good question because I think for about a decade after I, I you know, didn't practice law, my parents were still like, so why again did you go to law school? And I uh, had to explain. Yeah. You know, I when I was a young kid, I always wanted to go to law school. And not for any particular reason. It was just like something that was in my mind. Oh, I need to go to law school. Right. And as I went through college, I was still interested in law, but my my interests had gotten more diverse. I was interested in public policy, international policy, yeah. you know, yeah. even kind of like government affairs. So. But i also had a business interest and as i talked to a couple mentors in college i realized that law school was a place that you know would give you diversity in terms of options when you came out i never practiced law i you know so i did half a summer at a law firm in between my first and second year of law school that was my my only real practicing if you will if you want to call it that mm. i did take the new york state bar what, but, what, you know, what
0: was the internship or the, the summer like what did you what, were, what was yeah, you supposed-
1: so, it was actually pretty fun so i did half a summer at uh the law firm o and myers in washington dc yeah. um and i spent the second half of the summer at aol and this at this time aol was a powerhouse it was actually they just were about to acquire or just acquired time Warner. so it was the heydays oh of aol and uh i actually worked with the, some of the corporate affairs biz dev guys and they were yeah. doing deals like every day and it was a taste of that that i'm like all right I like the business development side a lot more than I'd like the paperwork and contract drafting side.
0: Right. Oh, that's, so that's amazing. Yeah. Which, which, yeah, which makes, I always find, you know, Killer BD and Corp Dev Ninjas are, um, those who often have, uh, a law background because devil's in the details and a lot of it's contract law right. and kind of seeing, being able to strategize, um, from a business development perspective when you're deal-making, what are all the various nuances? So. Tell me about Social Live. Let me how you know tell me a little bit and our viewers about the company, why you founded it. Um,
1: yeah well, first I'll just give you a quick overview of what Social Live is as you, you you described it up front. It's a technology platform that's really focused on the enterprise and helping make enable enterprises to more easily create video content. like historically, Video yeah. content's really hard to produce anywhere, but certainly at these enterprise organizations, we simplify the capture of video, the content creation, and ultimately the live distribution as well. But you know, it hasn't been a straight path to getting to this place. Like Social Live, uh, was three different companies, if you will, before we got to here. Meaning we we pivoted three major times oh. before we became Social Live. And
0: this uh, is after uh, this is after McKinsey, right? So after yeah, so yeah, that's
1: I went to McKinsey, and then I spent five years at uh, Scholastic. The children's publishing and educational company kind of got this idea to start a company which initially was in the music space. It was an online music creation platform that right. then pivoted into streaming and then ultimately became a video streaming platform. At yeah. the time, wasn't focused on the enterprise, but it just found its way there. And I mean, what's interesting is we never raised venture capital or any institutional capital. So we are investor backed, but uh, we still don't have any institutional capital in the business. Yeah.
0: Great. Great. Tell me what was so. So what was the inspiration for for starting this business? Tell me through yeah, tell me a little bit about your pivots and, and how you got to where you got. So yeah. what inspired you? And you get, you got into that a little bit, but like tell me a little bit more, a little bit more about like what inspired David to really start this.
1: Well, yeah. So what has always inspired me is the idea of like connectivity. You know, how do you make it easier for folks to communicate, connect, tell their stories? Like that's been kind of Something I'm passionate about since I was young. And so video and video storytelling was a natural kind of evolution. You know, the company initially started as an online music creation platform for kids. So enabling kids to make music online. Oh, I
0: didn't know that. Did it it have the same name?
1: No, it it was called called Breakout Band.
0: Breakout Band. I like the name.
1: Yeah, one of my, one of my old original team members just resurrected the logo recently It was like an American idol type logo with like people jumping out. It was hilarious. Cool product. Got some, some passionate adoptees. Yeah, but it was also the kind of platform that I knew wouldn't scale. And at the time streaming was, you know, live streaming was getting hot online. Electronic music was getting hot. So we pivoted into live streaming, but for electronic music, what's that?
0: What year was this? Yes, yeah,
1: so we pivoted in 2012 into a platform called Mixify, which okay. was an online music platform for electronic music artists. And think could they could stream DJ sets virtually. We started streaming DJs two-way into venues, so from LA into like Vietnam and LA into Buenos Aires and things oh. like that. And that's where we started building a lot of the hardcore video streaming technology and the two-way capability of yeah. interactivity and then Facebook Live launched in 2016 and once that launched we started getting requests from companies to use our technology to broadcast into Facebook Live and that's when we realized all right what we really are is a solution to help companies take advantage of distribution channels they already had Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, internal channels, external channels, make the video streaming part easier and ultimately became video content creation more broadly.
0: Interesting. And so what, what was the first, what was the first channel that you focused on? Was it Facebook or? Facebook
1: live. Yeah. Late 2016, Facebook live launched their beta. We were one of the first external streaming platforms to integrate with Facebook live. We, at the time we weren't even called social live yet, but we started doing outbound, you know, to, to, to prospects. Hey, do you need a solution for Facebook live? And the demand was immediate. Like we heard from like 15 companies in the first week when we went outreach, I was like, okay, we have now transformed what we are. This is what we're going to be.
0: And so how are, how did companies first, that's a great story, by the way, David. Um, And I like the path to kind of where you are and and completely see all that, all that value and enterprise companies wanting and demanding to have a platform like you guys. So what are, what were some of the requests? What are the, what are some of the things that you guys provide? enterprise clients with like what are the top requests because i know yeah. it's, not, i know even though i'm using it for podcasting this is not really your real business uh, but your well, real business is enterprise i guess
1: yeah, our real business is enterprise but the way you're using it is definitely a core use case which we still yes. have a lot of core customers who adopt social live, at least initially from marketing departments and communications departments for use across, you know, so- social communication. So LinkedIn live, Facebook live, YouTube live, we know we are a platform that makes it easy to create that high quality on brand content for those channels and distribute mm. that seamlessly. But in the last, in the last several months in particular, really the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of adoption on different use cases, that, which have only accelerated with COVID first would be like remote production and remote content capture so social live has an ability to kind of uh, enable folks to capture content with guests in different locations capture really high quality video content then be able to repurpose through social live or through their own you know post-production workflow but then it, it really uh, facilitates more e- scalable content creation which is a very big challenge at organizations that's a big use case virtual can, events has been another can, big use case yeah
0: can you give me a like a real life example today yeah
1: absolutely like what we have
0: going on so that folks understand or can visualize it yeah
1: yeah so we work with a lot of media and entertainment companies for example so like literally linear tv uh production companies who use the same green room uh environment that you and i are connecting in not yeah. to necessarily broadcast that content out but to get celebrity talent in a room together have a conversation. Yeah capture that video at the highest quality. And we also don't only capture the video of the composite that we create, we capture mm-hmm. each individual isolated feed from every guest. What that enables is those post-production teams to take that content, create new linear TV programming or new TG, t, digital TV, uh, digital kind of video content and publish right. it out across their channels. So it's really around content production after uh, those t- companies. Got
0: it. Got it. And, and. What about any, you mentioned some live events too, that you're, Yeah. that's also another kind of hot area of growth for the company.
1: Yeah, massive. So as you can imagine with COVID-19, pretty much all events have moved virtually and all organizations have quickly tried to figure out how they're gonna execute virtual events with that a number of big uh, virtual events platforms have emerged both kind of existing ones uh, like the more traditional webinar platforms like on24 and global mm-hmm. meet which is you know called to- formally called talkpoint but also new ones like hopin and Cvent just launched their new virtual events pl- platform called you know, engagement hub and the idea is these are immersive virtual environments to host you know experiences they used to you think about it as webinar but now it's full-on conferences, you know, ongoing internal halls, external communications content. What does that look
0: like? Like, what's an example?
1: Well, so they all look a little different. All the platforms look a little different. Something like a Hopin or a CBAN are much more kind of, you know, modern, like, kind of really modular, easy to use platforms. They're similar to social live in that way, in terms of, you know, being easy to use video platform. And then there's like the more kind of deeper webinar platforms um, like on 24 and talk point, but social live, is essentially a video platform that sits on top of those so we can broadcast seamlessly into all of those channels as well as the companies you know that use social life can have access to all the video content after the event to quickly repurpose that across their email marketing social marketing digital marketing channels but as virtual events move as everything moves virtually right now in yeah. terms of so events one yeah. question
0: that i'm sure that like i've had but yeah. people probably think what is a virtual event? I know when I go to an actual event, like I see tables, I see people. Like, is a virtual event like a PowerPoint presentation, or do you get to see people, or do you put like Oculus VR, you know, glasses on? What is a virtual event?
1: Well, it, it all depends, right? How you're doing it. But in the enterprise, you know, I think there's a collapsing right now between the webinar. The town hall and more of the like large conference type event like they're all event experiences right and so as a result companies are looking internally and say what's our digital event strategy so it's not no longer like hey we're going to do two big events a year and get all of our customers and stakeholders there we're going to have an always-on digital event strategy because COVID's changing the way we, we engage it. with our customers. We engage with our internal employees. So new platforms are cropping up that create these more immersive environments where you have chat, pollings, mm. Q&A, and social live. As important to that experience is the video experience that you're delivering yeah. into there. So we make the connection between the presenters who are presenting high quality content where people are looking for something higher quality than a Zoom meeting to broadcast into those environments.
0: Got it, got it, interesting. Yeah, I, I have I have seen a lot more of these events like cropping up, and even for consumers as well. So, companies like, yeah. and some of them are like are pretty interactive. Like there's like logos and graphics. You can go into sponsor different sponsor booths. Sponsor, yeah. So uh, you know, another question I have then: what what's the wisdom? You know, some business wisdom you can you can give us and, and myself in particular in closing large enterprise clients. So it sounds like that is your you know, that's the focus of of the business or a large part of the focus. And you must be really talented at at getting and closing large uh, enterprise clients. Tell me a little bit about your method.
1: Well, look, I think first and foremost, it always starts with the product and the product market fit. So yeah, I might be able to tell the story, but I look at, you know, our CTO, Ben Davenport, you know, our lead front end engineer, Mike Orth, you know, our lead mobile engineer, John Michaelich, and that team, that engineering team, They put a product out there that makes it really easy to sell. So it always starts with, do you have the right product? Do you have the right market fit with that product? Sure. If you have that, actually a lot gets easier. But the key when you're dealing with fortune level enterprises is, look, it's about selling a solution and listening and understanding their pain points and being able to apply the solution to their pain points. It's about unlocking a bigger strategy. You're not selling a widget here. If you wanna get a, a long-term relationship with a large pharma company, a financial ser- services behemoth, you can't just sell a widget. You need to solve a solution that you know will kind of scale across their needs. You also, they, those teams are also looking for partners partnership. So you have to have a partnership mindset, which means you, know, you need to be open to something not closing in three weeks or four weeks or six weeks, yeah. but it might take a three months or four months. That's okay. You're building a foundation for a long-term relationship with a lot of value built into that relationship.
0: Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with all of that, but what is, how do you even get into these enterprises? Let's say, yeah. you know, there's fortune 100 company X, you know, there could be uh, uh, they're considering it, or you think they'd be a good candidate. To consider social life how do you actually engage do you do see whether you have friends who who work there do you send a random email do you go on linkedin like for me i always say of course you need to have a great product but when you do business you're doing business with people people are who you do business with and closing business development deals with. And so if you think about the people aspect, like how do you go and speak to the right decision maker? It all ends with the right person and fortune 100 companies, you know, they're big. Oftentimes they're bloated. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of overlap. And so you could be stuck in, you know, deal business development purgatory. If you don't hit the right target from the outset, how do you go about company X? I, I think this would be a great, you know, proposition for the company, a good BD deal for the company. How do you go about it?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, we've been lucky to have a lot of inbound flow in over the last six months to twelve months. But you're right. Like at the end of the day, a lot of how you get in there is by you know tenacity and focus. And and you start with being as an entrepreneur when you you, know, you don't have it handed to you, you have to go build your lane, right? So you have to not be afraid. To kind of reach out and make those connections so i've been really lucky because we are investor back we have a i think 30 to 40 high net worth individuals in this company and between my network and their network we've i, I look i don't mind asking if i want to get connected to a large financial services company a large insurance company like i just make the ask and i you know generally speaking you want to get to you know a senior enough person that they can be an influencer or at least to start the conversation they may What's not the even be the buyer what does that
0: mean a senior enough person in your mind
1: well at these at these large enterprises i think it you know director and above really helps certainly if you can get to a v, vp or a c level then you're yeah. even you know in a really good spot the buyers are typically going to be vice president and above so you know you want to ultimately be on their radar and be able to tell the big story to them but ultimately you also have to connect with the actual users who are going to be not necessarily at that level in terms of you know having the, the buying power but yeah you know look you have to you have to write that you have to write that concise email i think what's really key is you know quickly uh, succinctly talking about what your product solves like in a sentence or two but also what's really helpful is being able to give social proof like if you do have customers that are of that level it yeah. immediately kind of solves the question of Hey, is this company legitimate? When you name those customers and you can actually yeah. speak to it intelligently, it, yeah. mo- it removes that from the table. And then already mm-hmm. people are more open to having a conversation. So getting those initial customers, really, really important to help kind of open the part the sees for you for the next set.
0: Amazing. Thank you for that. I totally agree with all of that. One question I have then, let's say you hit a block with an enterprise, enterprise yeah. uh, customer. You've you've given demonstrations, it's several months in, you've kind of traded some contracts, some high levels, you've done the case like every business development person has experienced at some point or another, like, okay, we're at a hundred percent close, and then all of a sudden it stalls for no apparent reason. What do you do?
1: Well, first of all. A deal is never dead until uh, someone says no. And even no means not now. So you got to always have that mindset that, you know, if you want it, you got to you got to continue to figure out a way to make it happen. Uh, I think a lot of it is being strategic. Like, I think that, you know, you can't keep pounding the same, you know, door the same way each time. Like, as you're going back to the people that maybe where there's a roadblock, you got to keep providing value or some reason they need to kind of reopen that door. The other thing is you should not, you know, when you're going at these organizations, you can't put all your relationships in, in one basket or all your eggs in one basket you got to try to have touch points elsewhere and ways to kind of maneuver within the organization so that if say you know you're going to communications but you're hitting a roadblock there well at least in our case learning and development or you know kind of digital marketing or you know corp comms maybe other areas that we can be exploring so try to have multiple touch points
0: i love that that's a that's a technique that I often, depending on the size of the company and who, who my original contact person was, I, I often do employ that same strategy of multiple touch points if, if I need. Final question. You said you're an investor back from your original team and, and some of your original investors, but how did you manage the original fundraising of Socialize, and how are you thinking about fundraising in the future?
1: Yeah. So my initial funder was actually a, a family of a law school classmate of mine. A uh, former Michigan guy, University of Michigan guy as well. So Woo-hoo. even though my wife is a Buckeye, good good things still come out of Michigan. Uh, but yeah, I mean, his family invested early uh, when it was breakout ban and just a concept on paper. Uh, somehow we survived that phase. And along the way, we've been able to pick up uh, investors who were connected to each other. And look, for most of the journey, those investors were investing in the vision, bits and pieces of traction, and their right. belief that, somehow I would figure it out that I would just basically, you know, one way or another, figure this thing out. And they also probably recognize this is the highest risk part of their portfolio and it probably wouldn't return. Now they're all engaged at this point because the business is, is really kind of exploded. I mean, you know, we, we doubled the, the, the revenue of the business from Q1 to Q2. We'll, we'll probably double again from Q2 to Q4, and then probably another doubling again in the first half of next year. So this business is on a, on a tear. We are We are also, we're only 34 people like this company could easily be double the size and, and, you know, there's more, more, more to build from there. So, you know, we are exploring the next phase of the business from a capital perspective, from a, from a growth perspective, but the exciting thing is the company's profitable. We can invest from existing cash flow very easily, and we are building out the leadership team as well as the rest of the organization as we speak. So even independent of what we do next.
0: Amazing. Well. If, and when you get to that next funding and, and point, make sure you reach out to me.
1: Sounds good, man. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll do. Um,
0: uh, a few closing questions or, you know, some fun questions. What are you typically
1: eating during COVID? I mean, every, everyone has a different... Yes. Answer. All right. Well... we people um, are
0: great chefs. Some folks have realized that they're not so good.
1: I'm so. I'm, I'm not. My wife is, is quite good, but I'm not. I have been in Cleveland for much of the summer with my mm-hmm. wife's family and my wife is Indian and we eat... Almost mostly Indian vegetarian food uh, every night, and, and it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, my wife's mother is one of the best preparers of food cooks I've ever I've ever had actually. So I'm very fortunate.
0: Amazing. Uh, any any are you having any particular curries or? Uh... Oh, mostly
1: like mostly like dal, simple dolls and uh, vegetable sub-g's, but full of flavor.
0: Amazing. I've been to India probably five or six times, a couple times for a wedding and a few times in Mumbai for, for business. And yeah. one of my favorite countries and cuisines in the world, definitely one of the best. And, and if you're vegetarian or, or vegan, it's like, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's a dream cuisine. What are you, how are you exercising? How are you staying fit?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually, during COVID, I, I feel like we've been exercising more than before that. Um, used to go to a gym, my wife as well. Uh, obviously not doing that anymore. And I don't think I'll go back to a gym after this. We have been using Equinox uh, Varus app yep. um, to do these kind of uh, interactive, semi-interactive because they're not live programs. And man, those those workouts crush. Some Sometimes using the Nike app as well, jogging as much as possible in, in between those days. But yeah, it's been pretty good.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah, everyone has a different... A, a different program i've been doing a bunch of cycling uh nice. i like to watch just in general yeah uh, some hit workouts and then several apps fit on for me has, has been pretty good final question what are you are you do you have time to watch netflix or any of the streaming platforms disney plus or yeah. Amazon? is there anything i mean i've gone through most of my content basically all i do some is like content, work right? exercise content. And, and then and then you know watch some watch some content uh on the weekends and the evenings what you what What's the latest thing you like? Yeah,
1: so we've actually been going back a little bit. So there are a bunch of series that I did not see when they were hot. First, you're gonna you're been blown away by this West Wing. Didn't watch it when it was when it was popular. Yeah, I haven't watched it so either. We, it's fantastic. It actually okay. gives you hope again for America. Yeah, you know, we're in a tough time. And then secondly, Sopranos. Never watched Sopranos. We're in the second season of Sopranos. Fantastic show. Like, absolutely phenomenal.
0: Yeah, Sopranos is incredible. I, I did watch it. Does it feel a little weird that it's, but it, it's so long ago, does it feel a little strange? that I mean, there are there nuances <laughs> where you're like, hey, this feels like 15, 20 years old? Or you're just like, this is awesome
1: what i it's I, I first of all i'm like it's awesome still like he yeah. he Gondolfini is incredible but what i what i find really interesting is i watch that and like obviously one at least one person dies gruesome in a gruesome fashion every episode but i watch and i'm like oh my god this is nothing compared to where we are right now like it feels actually light to me not entirely yeah. light but not nearly as like kind of harsh as co- both content and reality are right now <laughs> in this country yeah i mean if you look at,
0: if you compare like game of thrones some yeah. of the uh murder scenes there versus Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> completely, completely different. Last, you know, have you seen Breaking Bad?
1: So we watched the first couple episodes of it about three years back maybe, didn't get hooked on it. I've heard over and over again that you gotta get past like episode three. And I was then gonna you're say
0: episode three, I always say 100% episode four. If you're if you're going back and you're open to kind of older genres or yeah. series that, that, as you are, you yeah. gotta watch Breaking Bad. It right? Guarantee you, like after three or four, uh, certainly after four, you're gonna be hooked.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> what we've heard. So maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do it. But it's dark, though. We don't want to add more darkness.
0: Uh, well, I mean, you're watching Sopranos, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much, yeah. David. Could, uh, oops, hold on, my screen went dark. Oh, there we go. End of our show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, CorpDev.Ninja every Thursday or Friday, 25 minutes from uh, business leaders, business ninjas, CorpDev ninjas from around the world. And on episode 11, you heard that here today with David Marica from Social Live founder and CEO. Thank you, David.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Andreas. Really appreciate so
0: it. Thank you.